is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. Autumn has fully arrived here in Ohio, and our courtyard patio is filling with fallen leaves. The sugar maple is exploding in red and orange. Our American sweet gum is just beginning its journey from pale yellow to brilliant flame, and the crabapple trees are still pretending none of it is happening. The massive sycamore by the river is spreading its grief across the neighborhood, its large brown leaves catching the wind and filling the evening sky like starlings. Autumn in the Midwest is as melancholy as it is beautiful. There is glory and regret and a whispering in the soul at the call of October in the heart of anyone who has known falling barns and rattling cornstalks in their early years. The season is beautiful, but it is, of course, haunted. We don't need the culmination of Halloween to prove this to us. Autumn is when every tree we climbed every summer as children fakes its death till spring, and even as children we felt some tickle of mortality on the October wind long before we were old enough to name it. Rain tapping on the windows, pumpkins rotting on the porch, leaves swept up and burned like a sacrifice. These things were annual totems of the knowledge that spring is only half the truth of incarnation. As kids, no number of participation ribbons could cushion us from October. It came for us every year throughout the eternal brevity of our childhoods, and many of us learned to keep waiting for it past the borderlands of adolescence and across the wide country of adulthood. I never feel so alive as when I'm walking straight into a wet October wind. The earlier, cooler evenings find my wife and daughter and I heading inside earlier on weekend days now, and often have us sitting around our living room coffee table, Glenn Gould playing Bach's Goldberg Variations, or Itzhak Perlman playing Brahms' Violin Concerto, or some other graceful composition on the record player, and the table spread with a haphazard array of chocolate bars and a few cans or bottles of excellent beer. We sample and pair, scribble notes, comment, stare at the ceiling, journal, talk or don't talk. It's during these free-form tasting sessions that I find so many of my best pairing discoveries. The last two episodes of this podcast have covered numerous beers and chocolate bars, and in this episode I want us to slow down, retrace our steps, and find some good dance partners for them. The leaves are dying, but our homes are still full of life, and there's plenty of good chocolate and beer to get us through the cold months. In episode 5, we explored the world of smoke flavors in beer and chocolate. We talked with Caleb Mishaki of Sugar Creek Malt, who is recreating historical smoked malts as well as experimenting with unusual new smokes like lavender or coffee wood. We also spoke with Natalie Swanpercorn of Chocolate about her Up in Smoke chocolate bar, and with Eric Parks of Somerville Chocolate about his Applewood smoked bar. I want to start today by finding good matches for some of the beers and bars referenced in that show, and some others featuring smoke that tie in with it. As we discussed in that episode, smoke is a highly evocative aroma and flavor. 
It doesn't really fit into any consistent flavor pattern we commonly find across food or drink, and that can make it a challenge to work with when pairing. Smoke is an aroma in our food, not a basic taste, but the aromatic notes of different smokes can be perceived as leaning more towards savory or sweet or bitter, and that can amplify or subdue those tastes in the foods or drinks the smoke is present in. Before we go further, I want to clarify the terms aroma, flavor, and taste. Most of what we perceive as flavor is really coming from our sense of smell, not our sense of taste. Our sense of taste is actually fairly limited. There are only five basic tastes we can detect with our taste buds. Sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami or savory. Scientists are exploring the possibility of further tastes like water, metallic, fat, and carbon dioxide, but as of yet, none of them have been proven as unique tastes. Everything else we perceive as flavor actually comes through our sense of smell. When we take a sip of beer or let a square of chocolate melt on our tongues, aromatic compounds from that food travel through the retronasal passageway in the back of our throat to our olfactory bulb behind our noses. And it is here that the dazzling array of aromas we're able to detect, around 10,000, get interpreted and identified. That aroma information gets combined with the tastes we detected on our tongues to create flavor. Our brains do something curious here, and we're still not sure why. They send information back to our mouths to make us believe we're tasting all that flavor. If you want to test this for yourself, buy a pack of flavored jelly beans and don't look at the flavors. Pinch your nose completely shut, no cheating, and chew on one of the jelly beans. You should only be able to tell it's sweet and not be able to identify the flavor. Release your nose and suddenly you'll recognize it as cinnamon or strawberry or cotton candy. You'll swear you're tasting it, but you just proved you're smelling it. In this show, I use the terms taste, aroma, and flavor very specifically. Taste refers to those five qualities we detect on our tongues. Aroma is everything else we detect with our olfactory system. Flavor is the combination of the two, with a little help from our sense of touch, which can influence our perception of tastes and flavors while we're eating or drinking. You can think of taste as the basic lines in a coloring book, and aroma as the huge box of crayons that fill it in with color. The finished picture is flavor. So, back to smoke. Because of differences in concentration and temperature, as well as interactions with taste perception, we can sometimes detect aromas differently when we smell orthonasally, which is sniffing through our noses, versus retronasally, while we have the food or drink in our mouths. And this is why smelling our beer or chocolate is important for providing a full sensory picture. Just as we can't detect aroma on our taste buds, we also can't taste with our sense of smell. It's very common to smell a beer or chocolate or any other food or drink and say that it smells sweet or sour or bitter or savory. We can't detect the taste of sweetness with our noses, however, and what's happening here is that our brains are picking up context clues collected across thousands of eating and drinking experiences stretching back to infancy. Our brains are constantly trying to simplify things for us, and they learn to associate particular aromas with particular tastes. This is why candles that are intended to smell like sugar cookies or cinnamon rolls or some other confection smell sweet, even though there's no sugar in them and I doubt you'd enjoy eating them. The right combination of aromas signal to our brains that a sweet treat is imminent. 
This can often be culturally influenced as well. Vanilla and cinnamon are most often used in desserts here in North America, but in some other parts of the world, they are used in savory or spicy dishes. We smell cinnamon or vanilla and think sweet, but it's not the spice that's sweet. It's the efficient shortcut our brains have created from normally tasting those spices in confections. My brother-in-law Nick recently pointed out that because of the mole his Mexican mother used to make when he was growing up, he doesn't even always associate chocolate itself with sweetness. In beer or chocolate, this mental efficiency can often work against us. Many aromas in beer, from malt itself to the fruity aromas that can come with hops or some yeasts, can convince us sweetness is present when it really isn't. Most of us grew up eating sweet chocolate candy, so when we smell chocolate, there can be an unlearning process there as well. It can work for or against the chocolate maker, as that ingrained mental efficiency can supply a perception of sweetness the maker doesn't have to. It's all fascinating. Smoke can be intense, and balancing that intensity offers another challenge. When it comes to gauging intensity of flavors in beer and chocolate, the primary drivers of that intensity are fairly consistent. In beer, that intensity can come from basic taste components such as malt sweetness, bitterness from hops or roasted malt, or sour acidity from fermentation in some beer styles. Or aromatic intensities from fermentation character, malt, hops, or additional ingredients. In chocolate, intensity is driven primarily by sweetness, bitterness, and acidity on the taste side, as well as aromatic qualities of the cacao or inclusions. We even occasionally find savory or salty qualities in both beer and chocolate, and those can impact flavor intensity as well. The relative levels of any of these qualities determines the flavor intensity of the beer or chocolate. One aspect of intensity that rarely gets discussed, however, is novelty. Assertive flavors that are unfamiliar or unexpected will generally read as more intense than flavors we are already familiar with or fully expecting. Even when smoke is relatively subtle in a beer or chocolate, it still generally grabs our attention because we don't often find it in those contexts. And when its intensity level is objectively high, it entirely grabs hold of our attention. Finding a pairing match then requires something that can snap our attention back and hold its own in the pairing. I mentioned in episode four that matching intensity between beer and chocolate isn't as important as it is with other foods because of the specific process and format for tasting through these pairings. Still, if one side of the combination is gripping our attention entirely, the other will get neglected, and we want a harmonious combination that is more than the sum of its parts. Lock Twenty Seven Brewing in Dayton, Ohio, brews a tribute to Norwegian farmhouse ale that they call Stjordalsol, which just means ale from Stjordal, a region of Norway known for its farmhouse brewing traditions. The beer uses Stjordal malt from Sugar Creek, which has been smoked over alderwood. Stjordalsol is robust and funky, with a slightly sweet impression to the smoke initially. With some sharp, almost medicinal phenolics that soften into fruity and lightly meaty flavors, and eventually dry out to an ashy, smoky char. There's a lot going on here, and I landed on two different chocolate bars by the same maker, Ritual Chocolate in Utah, that paired with the beer in different ways. Ritual's 100% bar is made with a blend of cacao origins from around the world, 
And as the name implies, that cacao is the only ingredient, no sugar at all. I often find 100% to be more about concept and exploration than about actual pleasure, but the relative thinness of Ritual's mold allows the flavors in their 100% bar to melt and ghost across the tongue in ways that let me peacefully contemplate and, dare I say, enjoy even this most challenging of their bars. The acidity of the bar is bright but smooth, with notes of tart blueberry and nuts that stitch together into a sparse and austere but lovely skeleton of flavors. After allowing the bar to melt on the tongue, the robust Lock 27 beer with both savory and sweet elements flows into that skeletal structure and returns flesh to the bones. Peach pit and the overripe red flesh around it fills in the gaps with a funky savoriness like fire-roasted fruit. The bitterness of the bar and the harsher smoke elements in the beer somewhat cancel each other, allowing the full flavor beneath them to step forward. Ritual's Peru 75% bar, made with Nacional cacao from the Marañón region, is no less regal, but the presence of sugar here allows for a slightly softer presentation. Marignan Cacao provides one of the smoothest and most elegant profiles in chocolate, and this bar is indulgent without mollycoddling us. Aromas of raisin, rum, sweet flowers, and tobacco lead to flavors of shaded blackberry and orchid, with undertones of baking brownie and caramel. The pairing here really surprised me for its delightful simplicity. Despite the many factors at play, the meaty smoke of the beer and the dark berry of the chocolate came together to create the impression of slightly burnt toast with blackberries and bacon jam. For pure enjoyment, this was the better of the two, though I was more excited to find a successful pairing for the more challenging 100% bar. Another beer made with Sugar Creek's smoked malt was Fontaflora Soinhus. Named for a Norwegian smokehouse in which these malts would traditionally be smoked, Sugar Creek has the only one in the Western Hemisphere currently, Soinhus features malts smoked over beechwood rather than alder. It isn't nearly as savory or funky as many smoked beers. It's like a leaping wood fire was distilled into a glass with elements of ash and warm wood and dry smoke and cold air. After the success of pairing high-percentage dark chocolate with the Stajortazol, I opted for the Chocolate Conspiracy's Pure Dark, a 75% bar sweetened only with raw, unfiltered honey. The honey provides the clearest aromatics here, with wildflower honey and sun-warmed field grass layering over the underlying acidity and mild spice of the chocolate itself. In combination, the sweetness of the bar with the smokiness of the beer created the impression of honeyed ham cooked over a campfire. It was a surprising confluence of flavors, with the warm, summery notes of the bar and the wood fire elements of the beer that speak more of fall or winter coming together to create a pairing both comforting and open to the outside air. I haven't had the chance to taste Choconats up in Smoke Bar, but have had Somerville's Bar smoked over Applewood, and it's fascinating. There's a ripeness and roundness to the smoke here, like wood and leaves burning on a damp fall day with roasted orchard fruit. It all dovetails gracefully with the gentle berry notes of the Dominican cacao. The pairing I found for this was not remotely complicated. Seven Sun Brewing out of Columbus, Ohio, produces a fantastic beer called Fox in the Stout. 
It's an imperial stout made with cacao from ethereal confections in Chicago, vanilla beans, and salt, and its rich flavors offer the impression of a salted caramel brownie, but it's not too sweet. This pairing was full of comforting fall flavors, salty smoked bacon, caramel apple, brownies. There's nothing profound in this combination, but it does feel like a cozy Saturday where you never have to leave the house. I recently interviewed Seventh Son's head brewer, Colin Vent, and we'll hear from him about this and some of his other beers on Bean to Barstool soon. Oxbow Brewing in Maine showcases a rustic grace in everything they do, from their tasteful Instagram page to their pastoral chic tap rooms to their elegant can and bottle labels to the liquid inside. I've never visited, but they're high on my dream list. My friend Anna, the musician who provides the music for this podcast, was on tour in the Northeast last fall and brought me back several of Oxbow's gorgeous mixed fermentation and or smoked beers. I decided to open the last of them not long ago to find more options for pairing with smoke flavors. Unlike the beers with malt smoked in a Seinhaus, both Oxbow's Sap House and Bobasa are more gentle with how they draw smoke into their compositions. Sap House is a 7% ABV dark lager made with smoked malts and main maple syrup. Comforting flavors of damp wood smoke, hay, caramel, bacon, and maple fit together beautifully, and the relative subtlety of the smoke makes this an incredibly versatile pairing beer in general. Because smoked beers like this can so often suggest bacon or ham, and this one has maple syrup, I decided to stick with the morning theme and pair it with a chocolate bar from Manoa Chocolate in Hawaii. Their breakfast bar is a 60% dark milk bar sprinkled with cacao nibs and Kona coffee, and it's one of my absolute favorite coffee-infused chocolates. It's fairly straightforward, with lightly spicy and nutty coffee notes that speak of bright sunlight on a brand new day. The cozy smoked lager from Snowy Maine and the fresh coffee bar from a tropical Hawaii come together to create an entire camp breakfast with bacon and flapjacks off a griddle over the fire and coffee in your mug. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Barstool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my Level 2 exam many years ago. I wish the Level 3 had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. 
Oxbow bobasa is an entirely different animal altogether. The beer is comprised of young, smoked beer de garde, a French farmhouse style, blended with one- and two-year-old vintages aged in white wine barrels. The production time on this beer was 36 months start to finish, and the result brings together smoky elements with the mysteries of mixed fermentation, in which a menagerie of microorganisms in addition to conventional brewer's yeast go to work on the beer and produce complex, sour, and funky flavors. Here it yields flavors of juicy fruit gum, tart minerality, wildflowers, musty phenolics, with a thin blanket of smoke covering all of it. I paired this beer with a chocolate from episode 6. Hersheath and Elliot at Madhu Chocolate in Austin, Texas, produce chocolates infused with flavors and ingredients from Indian culinary tradition. Their vanilla fennel is a 76% dark chocolate that has an intriguing expression of its named ingredients. Fennel can be challenging for some people, with divisive black licorice flavors that people tend to either love or hate. But here it's woven into the chocolate's underlying fruity and floral profile and softened by the vanilla. There were beautiful and very unexpected things happening between Bobasa and this bar, with the beer's tart and complex fermentation profile along with smokiness and the chocolate's delicate handling of an often challenging flavor. Together, it all gave the impression of tart stone fruit drizzled with a nice-infused stovetop syrup and eaten beside the fireplace in an old dusty house. It's curious to taste a flavor matrix that is both surprising and reassuring in turn, heightening awareness and assuaging fear at the same time. This one pulled it off. Speaking of comfort, Hashith commented during our interview that when he tastes his dark masala chai bar, it's like his mom is hugging him. The bar is made with the same five spices his mom uses in her chai each day, and I knew I had to go for similarly comforting flavors in any pairing for this warm, spicy bar. There are bad pumpkin beers, and there are good pumpkin beers, and Whole Hog Pumpkin Ale out of Wisconsin is one of the absolute best. The key to a good spiced beer is restraint, and here no one spice calls out, and the result is warm and inviting but drinkable. It's not too sweet, and the spices are not too aggressive. It's a fall treat and one of the few pumpkin beers that is worth getting every year. Paired with the dark masala chai chocolate bar, it's like one indulgent confection, a pumpkin spice bonbon with zesty black pepper, rousing black tea, and subtle cranberry emerging from the cacao, maybe, or a trick of the spice. The gentle hand with the spices on both sides here is the key to an integrated and enjoyable marriage between them. I also tried this bar with Warped Wing Creep Show, a smoked porter from nearby Dayton, Ohio. Creep Show has a moderate smoke flavor, a robust but sculpted roast profile, and gently minty and herbal hop notes. Surprisingly, it's the hops that really make this work. They call out to the mint in the chai and create cool green fireworks on the dark night sky of the beer and chocolate, with whispery smoke beneath. The last Madhu bar I worked with was their excellent rose pistachio, which is as visually beautiful as it is delicious, the back of the bar sprinkled with rose petals and the soft green of pistachio nuts. It's gently sweet at 50% cacao, with the rose and pistachio lending a tea-like tone with a bit of astringency. This bar found a quiet but lovely dance partner in a rice lager from Georgia brewed with jasmine and green tea. 
Three Taverns Ukiyo is light and soft-spoken at just over 4% ABV, and its flavors are kind and soothing. The word ukiyo in Japanese means the floating, fleeting, or transient world, and, as I understand it, refers to the hedonistic aspects of urban life. On the colorful can, Three Taverns says, to enter ukiyo is to enter the floating world detached from the cares and concerns of life. If I or Three Taverns am getting that wrong, I'd love to know. The beer deepens the floral profile of the bar without really adding or removing anything, and I felt like I was sipping a comforting mug of tea on a rainy night, glad for the warmth. This pairing wasn't loud or bright or spicy, but its quiet grace did lead me to slow down more than normal and revel in its comforting elements. Also in episode 6, we talked with Jose Lopez of Casa Humilde Cerveceria in Chicago, whose beers carry flavors from Mexican cuisine. Casa Humilde Pilan is a Belgian-style ale brewed with pilancillo sugar, orange peel, and coriander. The pilancillo ferments out but leaves behind an impression of dark fruit with wildflower honey in a relatively dry body, and these flavors play with the earthy spice of the Belgian yeast, sunny but understated fermentation notes of gentle pear, subtle lime zest from the coriander, and sweet orange to create a complex but highly quaffable beer. I paired this beer with 2020 Chicha y Canela, a bar I previously paired with a related beer style, Belgian Triple, in episode 4. Here, the bar's flavors of woody cinnamon, toasty rice, and warm straw deepen the fermentation spice notes in Pilan, anchoring the beer's brighter, sunnier elements and adding seasoning to its mid-level fruit notes. Speaking of sunnier elements, another Casa Humilde beer provided the chance for an entirely warm-weather pairing that brought to mind the first verdant spring day, even in the middle of autumn. Mesita is a very low-alcohol beer brewed with hibiscus, and it's vibrant and balletic with floral and mildly acidic flavors in a dry, crisp body with very subtle pepperiness. I paired this with Manoa Chocolate's Ghost Pepper 60% Dark Milk Bar from Hawaii, which is sweet and smooth with slow, steadily building heat that never quite gets mean. The Ghost Pepper heat pulls on the hibiscus from both ends, deepening the more bulbous rose and young cherry flavors while accentuating its mildly tart acidity, and the floral flavors in the beer in turn shade and moderate the biting pepper. The final beer from Casa Humilde is their Tempestad, an imperial stout brewed with Ecuadorian cacao from Cho Chocolate and Mexican vanilla beans out of Veracruz, which Jose describes as softer and wider than something like a Madagascar bourbon vanilla. I didn't want to compete too much with the underlying chocolate flavors in the beer, so I went for a conceptual pairing of chocolate-covered berries. I paired this with the Chocolate Conspiracy's Raspberry Bar, This 75% dark bar has the aromas of raspberry without the corresponding sweetness, and through no fault of the bar, this didn't quite hit what I was looking for. The raspberry aroma was a bit too subtle, and the intensity of the cacao was a bit too high. I'd like to try this pairing again with a sweeter, candy-like raspberry chocolate, like the raspberry half of Zadar's For Those Who Are In Love combo, which has the truest sweet red raspberry flavors I've found. When I can bring these together, I think I'll be in chocolate-covered berry heaven. 
One of the fun things about pairing beer and chocolate is that no one has written a rule book for it yet. These are two incredibly complex indulgences, and even with practice, I still find myself constantly surprised. Grab some excellent craft chocolate and craft beer, put on some good music, and see what discoveries you uncover. Just be sure to tell me about them when you do. Halloween is just around the corner, and it's the perfect time of year for one of my favorite authors, Ray Bradbury. Bradbury grew up in Illinois and understood autumn and Halloween in the Midwest as well as anyone, and he returned to the landscapes, sensations, and emotions of this time of year over and over in his fiction. His collection, The October Country, opens with the following epigraph. October Country, that country where it is always turning late in the year, That country where the hills are fog and the rivers are mist, where noons go quickly, dusks and twilights linger, and midnights stay. That country composed in the main of cellars, sub-cellars, coal bins, closets, attics, and pantries faced away from the sun. That country whose people are autumn people thinking only autumn thoughts, whose people passing at night on the empty walks sound like rain. I hope you have many happy hauntings throughout this beautiful season. Coming up this fall, we'll have a couple episodes that look at the intersection of coffee with both chocolate and beer, the influence of wood and barrel aging, collaborations between breweries and craft chocolate makers, and episodes where we'll take a step back and take a look at the basics of craft beer and bean-to-bar chocolate. The next episode, which will come out November 3rd, God help us. We'll talk to two Ohio breweries who source cacao from a bean-to-bar chocolate maker in Chicago, and we'll talk with that chocolate maker who has possibly partnered with more craft breweries than any other chocolate maker in the country. If there's a topic you'd like to see covered on this podcast, drop me a line through social media or at beantobarstool at gmail.com. You can also let me know if you've had good chocolate beers or beer-infused chocolate or if you come across one you think I would find interesting. Let your friends know about this show if you think they would enjoy it, and you can even share it with your favorite chocolate makers or brewers, and, of course, you can leave a review on your preferred listening platform. If you feel inspired to share one of your own beer and chocolate pairings on Instagram, tag the post with the bean to barstool hashtag so I can see it and comment. The music for this episode was performed by my friend Anna P.S. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bean to Barstool. Bean to Barstool.